the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. This is the Georgine Rice Show, and uh, Georgine is taking a few days off. And uh, so this is Pastor Rich Jones, and uh, I am the pastor at Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsboro, Oregon, sitting here with Matthew Dodd, who is a pastor working together with me at Calvary Chapel in Hillsboro, and it is our distinct pleasure to be hosting for Georgine Rice as she enjoys some time off. Matthew, how are you doing? I am doing well, and it's great to be with you again, and surprised that they'd actually invite us back, but great to be here. <laughs> yeah, we obviously uh, didn't mess it up too bad. I guess not. So anyway, very, very happy to be here, and I'm glad that Georgine has some time off and that she would trust us to uh, have her show. And uh, I want to talk today about Israel, and particularly about the uh, role of Israel in the latter days, because I, I think that many people sense that we are, in fact, moving closer and closer, nearer and nearer to the latter days. And I think that there is a, a rising sense of awareness and um, desire to understand what is happening in the world. We need to make some sense, you might say, spiritually speaking, and to understand uh, latter-day events from a biblical worldview. Well, if you're going to look at the latter days from a biblical worldview, then you're going to be looking at Israel because it's central to the fulfilling of prophecy in the latter days. And in fact, I've said before many times that and when you think of the, the fulfillment of prophecy in the latter days, Israel is the center of that fulfillment. Jerusalem is the, uh, the epicenter, but the Temple Mount is the very, uh, is there f something further centered than Focal that? Focal point. Focal point of the fulfillment. And so I want us to look at that. But I think also when we look at what's happening in the world, we are also seeing a rising anti-Semitism. This is... This has got to be concerning for, I think, anyone who has a, a sense of spiritual things in their lives. This ought to be concerning, a rising anti-Semitism. But I think also we are seeing a rise of, let's say, support, uh, sentiment of agreement with the uh, Palestinian Arab, uh, the Palestinians, I think we would commonly say, and uh, and so this has got to be concerning for Christians. Uh, there needs to be a, a much deeper awareness of the uh, of what's happening in the world, I think, and what's happening with Israel. You know, Jesus talked about watching for the signs of the times. And I want to talk about some of the signs of the times that we ought to be watching for. But he, he is, is talking about being aware, right? Keeping your heart alert. And and I want us to do that. 
That's the goal of this uh, uh, program today, is to help people to watch for the signs of the times, to be on the alert. Because at the end of it all, I think there needs to be revival, honestly. We need revival today when you look at what's happening in the world. I couldn't agree more. You know, I believe these are are difficult times, to say the least, times that we've never experienced in our lifetime. And I think it's incumbent upon us, the, the, the evangelical church, to be aware of what God's word says and then rightly discern what's going on. Like the men of Ishkar who understood the times in which they lived and they were acting appropriately. I think it's incumbent upon us as the church to understand what God's word says, look at what's going on in our world, and then act appropriately mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm that will point people to Jesus Christ. Well, exactly. In fact, that was, I think, the whole point of when Jesus talked about watch for the signs of the times. He he then, Matthew 25, the very next chapter, started uh, on the topic of being on the alert. In other words, you're right. There needs to be an impact. There needs to be a response. And ultimately, we want to see revival. And the good news is God wants his people to know. He wouldn't have told us these things, recorded them in his word, if he didn't want us to know. Why? So that we wouldn't be caught off guard. But again, act wisely, be the witness that he's called us to be, and then move forward in the proclamation of the gospel. My concern is, personally, and I think it's yours as well, that we can get off message and Mm -hmm. get off target. The flaming missiles of the enemy become mm-hmm. a distraction mm-hmm. for us. Yep. And all of a sudden, we become something that we're not. We fight a war that we're not supposed to fight it the way we do. We should fight it the mm-hmm. right way. Mm-hmm. And we engage the wrong way. And as a result, I think, do more harm than good to mm-hmm. the gospel message. No, absolutely. I think you're right. We have to keep on message. And uh, and I think it's very important for for Christians to understand what that means. I mean, let's put some, you know, some reality to that and not just theory. We want to understand what's going on and uh, to fight the right wars, I think brings up a spiritual aspect, right? We're in a spiritual battle. No doubt about it. And we need to engage that battle spiritually. And I think that we have to be very, very careful because there's so much animosity today. There's so much uh, conflict. I mean, the battle lines are being drawn. Yeah. And I think that that Christians need to be careful not to, uh, let's say, fight the culture wars, but instead fight the spiritual wars. Because there's a lot of spiritual wars. Now I realize that there's a lot of spiritual conflict in our culture. But what I mean by that is the way in which we engage ought to be according to the mandates of Scripture. I think also, and this is what concerns me, I know we're going to delve into this here more in terms of this topic, but what concerns me as well is I think the church and many people are battle-weary and fearful. And whenever you become fearful and battle-weary, then it's easy to walk in the flesh and engage culture in the flesh, Mm -hmm. if I'm hearing you correctly, That's right. rather than walk spiritually, walk with God, be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and engage culture that way. Because let's use, let's use some specific examples. I think that social media uh, is an example of where people are engaging with the culture, and uh, that's where we have to be very careful, I think, because the world 
has made it very clear that they're going to engage with every underhanded, let's say, character assassinating uh, a method, right, that they can muster. And I think that that's where the Christians need to be very uh, careful about the witness uh, of Christ to the world. I mean, ultimately, we're trying to be a witness for Christ. And when we, when the Christian world engages with that cultural battle in a way that's filled with animosity, filled with flesh, filled with anger, filled with aspects of humanity rather than of the Spirit, that's when I think we're compromising our message. I agree. You know, David comes to mind. Right. Before his battle with Goliath, you come at me with sword and spear, David said. There you go. But I come at you in the name of the Lord. And and there's that authority that rests on the church. And again, I, I know we're kind of speaking at a 30,000 foot level here. And I know we'll get more granular later. Right. But it's important, I think, for us to establish these big idea principles because that needs to then guide us and navigate us through the difficulties that face us today. Absolutely. So that's that's the... Uh, the urgency to me this is well it's important of course because we're talking about latter day things and the role of the church in the latter days but i think that that urgency uh is is ever more real because this whole pandemic has brought that culture war to the forefront now we're going to take a break and uh we're going to just engage on this topic and i think it's very very important so we'll be right back you're welcome to the georgian rice show you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. Georgine is taking a few days off. This is Pastor Rich Jones from Calvary Chapel Worship Center sitting here with Pastor Matthew Dodd, who serves with me there at Calvary Chapel in Hillsboro. And we are talking about the, the role of the church and Israel, really, in the latter days. And, um, and, and just before the break, we were talking about how the church uh, needs to engage with the culture. Because I think this is really uh, a critical aspect of the church. We are living in such days of conflict and uh, animosity. Anger is uh, rising. Uh, in many ways, there are lines being drawn. And we were talking about the, how important it is that a Christian uh, engages the culture with a heart of Christ. Now, you know, recently you spoke about this at the church. Mm -hmm. And and I thought it was a very powerful message about how to engage the right way. And perhaps it'd be good, again, before we go in a little bit further into our, our topic, to to share with the audience how what are some principles that you have learned from God's Word and also as you've walked this Christian life. Here right. are some life lessons that... People can put on some handles that they can grab onto and say, okay, these are some principles to live by, to apply, to make sure I'm on the right side of things mm -hmm. when things come my way. When I see division happen and now I'm forced to take sides, how do I navigate this the right way? Because ultimately, we want Christ to win. Absolutely. And you know, to, let's say, let's start with this point, which is to make sure that you're on the right side of the argument, right? Which is to stand for Christ, right? To stand for the kingdom in these latter days with all of this animosity. Start there. Make sure that you're on the right side of the thing. But then it's how. Is it important how we engage? Yes. You know, Jesus talked about that. 
because they lived in great times of animosity. Talked about, you know, uh, loving your enemy, turning the other cheek. Truth, truth is, Rome was no friend to Israel. Oh, that's for sure. And, um, and so there's great lessons, you know, out of that. And then Paul adds further to it. For example, in Second Corinthians chapter 10, very famous where he says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, this right here is very important because we are living in times of tremendous spiritual battle. And how, he says, well, we walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. That divinely powerful means that it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to rely on that, the power of the Spirit, and not the animosity of the flesh that gets people so fired up. You know, just because you're fired up does not mean that's the Holy Spirit. You're, you know, you can just be angry in the flesh and, and overstep uh, the, your role in this and be very, very careful. So he continues on where he says, We are destroying speculations in every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He's really speaking of a battle. And how we engage in that battle is very important. So, taking every thought captive. The context also here is a little bit of church discipline as well. Right. But I think that idea of engaging the culture and exposing what the culture is saying about things, how does it line up with Scripture? And making sure we're taking captive not only what's being said out there, how does it line up with the truth, but also taking captive our own thoughts in terms of our response. Mm -hmm to these things as well because I think the reality is it's very easy like you said to just want to engage in that fleshly way and and ultimately be defeated or oh, you may have won the Twitter war but you ultimately <laughs> lost yeah a, a an opportunity to witness for Christ that sounds like some movie the Twitter wars <laughs> uh, you heard it here first yeah Georgine Rice exactly right we made it up um, but that brings up social media. Yeah. And actually, social media is an interesting thing because you can be so anonymous, you know, behind your uh, anonymous handle. And it's interesting because behind that anonymity, people can begin to think that they're buffered from the responsibility of acting like Christ. And that's absolutely not true. You know, and it grieves me because if you have an issue with somebody, Jesus gave us the directive in terms of how you would work that out. Go to that person. The goal is reconciliation, right. not throwing them under the bus. And I tell you, you look at the Sermon on the Mount, and you're going to see a, a very different character than what we see in much of the world and much of the church, if I can be so bold. Taking that thought captive, right, and then when you respond, speak the truth in love, as the Apostle Paul said. So we're talking about the fact that we're engaged in uh, tremendous uh, days of turbulence, trouble. You know, Paul said uh, to his young son, Timothy, in the, you know, realize this, right? In the latter days, there will be times of trouble. Well, we are living in days that I say are right before the latter days. The fulfillment... These are the birth pains. We're experiencing now, we are seeing many of the birth pains that Jesus spoke of. Um, in Matthew 24, where we, we get many of the signs of the times that we ought to be watching for, that Jesus charged the church to be watching, to stay on the alert to watch. And I think that 
we need to understand that these are very, very critical days. And Jesus wants us to be ready for the latter days by watching for those signs of the times. But I think also it should cause us to have a spiritual alertness in our own selves that should bring revival. Frankly, the church needs to be stirred to revival in these latter days. I agree. And so we need to put on the full armor of God because as Paul says in Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood. There is that spiritual battle. And I think the reality is the enemy, part of the beauty of the deception is to make us think it's just a physical battle and and, and lose sight of the spiritual dimension behind it all. That's important because I think that um, people need to have more confidence, more faith in the spiritual realm in this battle and the spiritual weapons of warfare, if if we can be so bold. Because people are using, frankly, uh, they're using the, the weapons of the flesh. Again, going back to David, there was a confidence. I come right. in the name of the Lord. Right. You know, you can come at me with any warfare you want, but I come in the authority, in the covenant relationship with my God. And I ultimately know my God wins. So that's faith, uh, clearly evidence in a battle. And, and I believe that today Christians are relying and I, I want to be careful not to be too general here, sure. but I think there are many, let's say, Christians that are relying on the weapons of the flesh, anger, animosity. Uh, they're the ones throwing the flaming missiles, if I can use you know, that, that verbiage. And uh, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. So I think we need to be very, very careful as the church engages, like how do we engage with the culture in which we live? Because there is so much animosity today. And this pandemic and the vaccines and the mask and all this sort of thing, they're just bringing it to the forefront. And it's ever more abundantly clear that the church must engage, but how? And that's that's why I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to this before we get into the main topic. We're going to get there. We are going to get there, which has to do with rising anti-Semitism, Absolutely. which I think is part of this uh, uh, battle that we are seeing around the world. And uh, we want to understand then how to watch for the signs of the times and this relevance to us in these latter days. So we're going to take a, a break. And I want us to start looking at particularly why do we say... Uh, to watch for the signs of the times and connect it then to Israel. This is very important. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. Uh, This is Pastor Rich Jones. I uh, have the privilege of serving as senior pastor at Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsboro. I'm sitting here with Matthew Dodd, who serves with me at Calvary Chapel Hillsboro. And we're talking about the latter days and the role of Israel. But also, uh, I, I want us to always be reminded that when Jesus spoke of these things, he then spoke to the church, watch for the signs of the times. So we're living in those days. Many people can see what's happening in the world, sense that there is there is a, like a tectonic shift going on. There is a uh, already storms have come, but there are greater storms on the horizon because as you near the uh, uh, latter days, greater and greater troubles will come. We can look at many places of Scripture to see that. 
I mentioned before the break where Paul wrote to Timothy, realize this, in the latter days, there will be times of trouble. Jesus foretold uh, that there will be, of course, in this world, many troubles. Take courage, I've overcome the world. But I want us to specifically look at why Israel. Why Israel is important for us to be watching uh, for the latter days. And I mentioned before that um, the fulfillment of prophecy is centered on Israel. Jerusalem is the, the very center and the Temple Mount is the epicenter. Yeah, why would that be the case? So I want us to look at, at in, in Matthew 24, right, when Jesus had come out of the temple and the disciples had come to him and they were pointing out the temple buildings to him. And he said, Don't, uh, do, you, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. This brought the disciples to a question. And this is 24 verse 3. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came privately to him saying, Tell us. When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? See, now, they asked a question, connecting it to his, his specific uh, uh, mention of the temple and its destruction, but then they connect it to the latter days. And so that's where Jesus really brings this very famous answer, where he said, again, I'm in Matthew 24, He said to them, See to it, no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah. They will mislead many. And here it goes. He starts describing these signs of the times. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Now, these will increase as we draw near to the latter days. See to it that you are not frightened. Now, again, he's giving us a response there. Be very certain that you are not frightened. Because... Um, faith is the answer to that fear. If you believe, take hold of that faith, it casts out fear. For these, those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. So he's telling us then that these signs of the times that we are to be watching for leading up to the latter days. So there's going to be an intensity and also a greater frequency. Well, because he connects it to a woman in childbirth. Exactly. And... Uh, and I'm an expert <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> I'm delving into dangerous ground here, am I not? You know, I'm you're on your own. I am an expert. You are on your I own. I am an expert when it comes to uh uh the pain of child rearing <laughs> bearing. Not because I've born any, but my wife has born three and I was the coach. That makes me an expert. And you have a testimony. I have it does I was the coach three times. <laughs> Uh, okay, and the women are like, oh, please, that is, you have no idea. Okay, where did I go? I don't know. But, I got, you distracted me. But, but Georgine, thank you so much again for letting us <laughs> host the show for the last time. Okay, you're talking about a woman in childbirth because that's the analogy. And uh, and this is the experience I, I saw as the coach. As you near draw nearer and nearer to the great event, the childbirth pangs grow greater in intensity and closer together, and that's the point. Jesus is giving these signs of the times, and they are like a woman in childbirth. So we we go on to see <clears throat> these things. He says the nation will rise against nation, kingdom will rise against kingdom. In various places there will be famines and earthquakes. Again, that's an indicator when you see greater 
and greater earthquakes, greater intensity, closer together. And, I mean, you could do some interesting charts to see it's true. the intensity of what's happening. All these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And I believe that we are in the time, that he is describing here, the beginning of birth pangs. <clears throat> they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. You will be hated by all nations on account of my name. Now, <clears throat> I think it's important for us to recognize that Jesus then moves to a, an Israel-specific fulfillment. Because right there he's dealing with the church. So far he's been talking to the church, watch for these things. But now he's going to shift to an Israel focus. And uh, he, a, a, a time will come. At that time, many will fall away and deliver up one another and hate one another. In other words, cultural animosity, cultural division, cultural strife. There will be many false prophets that will arise and mislead many. Lawlessness will increase. He's still hmm. speaking here of the condition of the world itself. Lawlessness increase, which is to say that there will be a casting off of morality in the latter days. And we are, look around. And you can see that the world is heading in a distinct direction towards immorality. Very similar to what you see in Genesis <clears throat> 6, where every intent of the heart was only evil all the time. Right. And, of course, Jesus and no, brought that up. And no value in terms of human life. So he spoke at that analogy, saying it will be like the days of Noah. Exactly You're right. right. So he goes on to say, many people's love, actually, he says, most people's love will grow cold. Many uh, look at that and say that there will be a, uh, a diminishing of faith. And I think part, partly because there's such animosity against the church that it's going to refine the church. Either you stand for what you believe or you fall away. Many will fall away. And I also think you have a situation where as fear grows, faith diminishes, love grows cold. Exactly right. And the opposite is true as well. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. Still in Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, shall be preached to the whole world for a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, and here's where he gets very specific, this is clearly Israel-focused, which is why one of the places where we say the latter days will be focused on Israel, watch for these signs, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This makes it very, very Israel-specific. The abomination of desolation is an affront to Israel, an offense to Israel by setting up a defilement in the temple, in the holy of holy place, in the temple. And so this requires the rebuilding of the temple. And interestingly, there are many in Israel looking forward to the rebuilding of that temple today. When you go to Israel, you can go to the Temple Institute and see that they have all of the uh, uh, implements, everything really ready for the rebuilding of the temple in the, in the latter days. It's quite a tour. It's absolutely fascinating. I love going to Israel and 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 seeing that is just a confirmation of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 24. So uh, he's speaking of that abomination of desolation that is spoken of in Daniel the prophet, where he said there would be a defilement of the holy of holies. When you see that, 
flee to the mountains, Jesus is saying. All right, much to say on this topic. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to The Georgine Rice Show. Uh, it's my privilege to be hosting for Georgine, and she's taking a few days off. And uh, this is Pastor Rich Jones, pastor at Calvary Chapel in Hillsborough, sitting here with... Uh, my good friend and fellow pastor, Matthew Dodd, and we serve together at Calvary Hillsborough. And we're talking about the latter days. We're talking about the importance of watching for the signs of the times. I think the listeners of this program understand there's a spiritual discernment in this audience that understands that we are seeing many of the signs of the times that Jesus uh, foretold that we ought to be watching for. And I was just before the break reading about a very Israel-specific focus. You know, Jesus gave, you might say, different signs to be watching for. One set of signs of the times are global, uh, not just uh, earthquakes and famines, but also uh, the love of many will grow cold. Uh, there will be a greater animosity, uh, greater persecution. I mean, we are living in times. We are seeing that really building now. The animosity against the church uh, is strong uh, and a very concerning rise uh, of anti-Semitism, sentiment of, of uh, against Israel itself. Very interesting. If you were to go and do a survey, many have, of college campuses today, which is, of course, a read of what is going to be the future, there is a very concerning thing. You go to college campuses and ask their view of Israel. It's extremely anti-Semitic. You ask their view of the Palestinians. It's strongly supportive. And I think there's some reasons for that, but I would say primarily the reason for that is lack of understanding, lack of knowledge. And uh, we want to speak to that today in this program to equip I think the church needs to be equipped to be able to engage um, with knowledge. Scripturally, we need to understand why the world is the way it is. We need to see news events through the lens of Scripture and prophecy. And when we talk about the fulfillment of Scripture in the latter days, we have to see it's very Israel-focused. So we were just reading about uh, the categories that Jesus spoke of, the signs of the time. One are global. And then he went very specific to Israel, where he said, this is Matthew 24, verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation. This is the offense of all offenses against Israel because it's a, uh, a blasphemy setting up a, a, we believe it will be the setting up of a, a monument or statue, an idol of some kind to the Antichrist, in the Holy of Holies. And uh, that is, of course, the greatest offense possible to Israel, the, the Jews, the Orthodox Jews, who will adhere to uh, the laws of Moses in the latter days. But when that happens, he says, let the reader uh, understand that they are to flee Judea. That's helpful, because now we understand it is Israel-focused. Let him who's on the housetop no get down to get things out of the house even. Such is the urgency of the matter. Let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. Woe to those who are with child, those nursing babes in those days. Pray your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. 
For there will be a great tribulation. Okay, and here's where we get this understanding of in the latter days, which is also spoken of in Daniel, a great tribulation, which we could see as a seven-year, literal seven-year pouring out of the wrath of God. There will be a great tribulation uh, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world up to that point, nor ever shall again. That is a fascinating statement, such as this tribulation that, that uh, Jesus is speaking of. And unless those days have been cut short, no life uh, uh, would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, we're speaking here of Israel, those days shall be cut short. So, Israel is the center of the fulfillment of, of prophecy. But why is that? I mean, okay, we've, we've kind of laid out Matthew 24, and you've mentioned Daniel. But biblically speaking, why is Israel the focal point of human history? I mean, everything is zeroed in on what's going to happen in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount. Why is there so much weight and emphasis on that one location in the world? Well, that's a, that is a deep question with uh, a very interesting answer because we really got to look at history to understand it. Starting with Abraham, and uh, uh, God called Abraham his friend and gave him some amazing promises, and probably one of the greatest promises that he gave to Abraham um, was that he would be the, the father uh, of many nations, essentially Israel. But he also gave this promise, those who bless you will be blessed, those who curse will be cursed. And I believe that that promise given to Abraham is then given to his son and his sons after that, and then given to Jacob and the 12 sons of of Jacob that made up Israel, and following all down to the modern people of Israel to this day. Because it's through the seed of Abraham... That, that the all nations, nations will, be will be blessed. So that's Thank a key. You. It's a very interesting point. You know, you. blessing or curse, but God wants to bless. Mm-hmm. And that blessing is going to come through the seed. And Paul specifically says that seed of Abraham is Christ. Who will also be called the son of David. Exactly. And that promise given to David uh, that he would have a son to sit on the throne forever we see is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Second Samuel 7. Who, Jesus, who will come at the end of the age, and, uh, and he will set foot on the Mount of Olives, enter Jerusalem to rule and reign the world, the nations of the world. And Israel will see him as their Messiah. So, you know, today, much in, in Israel, most in Israel, do not recognize Jesus as their Messiah. Although there's an interesting uh, movement uh, in Israel today, it's, it's not large, but there is a growing awareness that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. Hmm. But in the latter days, <clears throat> at the end of the age, Jesus will set foot in the Mount of Olives, enter Jerusalem, and rule and reign the nations. And he will defeat the armies that have come against Israel in the famous Battle of Armageddon. And they will see him, they will recognize him as the Messiah. But it says, interestingly, that they will look on him whom they have pierced Mm -hmm. and they will mourn for him because they will see he's the one that we pierced all those years ago. But he'll pour out on Israel the spirit of grace and supplication and defeat her enemies and Israel will be saved. 
So as you look at the Bible, I know we're coming to the end of the segment here. You have Genesis 3. You have the fall in the garden. Right. You have the promise that, that the seed of woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. So you know that there's going to be a redeemer, uh, a rescuer of sorts. And then as you go through prophecy, then you come to Genesis 12, the promise to Abraham, narrow it to Judah in Genesis towards the end. Then you have 2 Samuel. Now it's through David and Jesus Christ through signs and wonders proves that he is who he says he is, the resurrection, that he is the Christ. And the enemy is bent on making God a liar by destroying God's ability to fulfill his promise that there would be a rescuer to redeem Israel. That is a very good summary right there. That is a nice thread through history that connects uh, Israel to the fulfillment through Jesus Christ and brings us to the latter days. And you also mentioned the spiritual warfare aspect of it because I believe that there is a spiritual warfare behind anti-Semitism because Mm -hmm. The intent of the enemy has always been to destroy Israel. We can go back over history and see it. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to The Georgine Rice Show. Georgine is off today, and it's my privilege to be sitting in for her. And this is Pastor Rich Jones. I'm the pastor at Calvary Chapel in Hillsborough, sitting here with my friend and fellow pastor at Calvary Chapel, Matthew Dodd. And we're talking about the latter days and the rising anti-Semitism that is part of the fulfillment of the latter days. Because we were talking before the break about there's a spiritual battle here. The enemy has, of course, recognized the importance of Israel and that the fulfillment of prophecy is through Israel and through Jesus Christ. And, you know, interestingly enough, one of my professors, Dallas Theological Seminary, Dwight Pentecost, mm-hmm. great name for a mm-hmm. professor. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he shared, as I took a class from him on Daniel and Revelation, right. that before the first coming of Christ, the enemy's goal was to obliterate Israel so that God could not bring a Messiah. Mm-hmm. Then after Christ came... His goal is to obliterate Israel so that when Christ returns, there is no kingdom to reign over, no Israel to reign over, mm. making God a liar on both fronts. That is a good observation because you sur- surely see it. Uh, of course, the Holocaust mm-hmm. has to be, but you can see other examples of that. And what we're talking about today in terms of the rise of anti-Semitism, we can see that again. And the rise of anti-Semitism is interesting because... If I could be so bold, the church has not always been a friend to Israel. And um, that's a sad commentary. Theological reasons, though. Theological reasons that I think are misunderstood. Agreed. Errors of, uh, and, 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 and ignorance, if I can be so bold as to say ignorance. And, and you can go back, for example, to the Middle Ages where education was not common and and rumors could take hold and and spread due to that lack of knowledge lack of education and for example um it, it was that um in the middle ages jews were accused of stealing babies and uh, uh killing them taking their blood and mixing it with their passover uh, bread which is like this is un 
This is a complete lack of knowledge, mm-hmm. first of all, because Israel is told clearly in Scripture have nothing to do with the eating of anything with blood in it. Yep. So that's complete lack of understanding, first of all. Uh, here's another example. During the uh, days of the Black Plague, Israel uh, did not seem to be impacted by the Black Plague, and so therefore they were accused of starting it, poisoning their wells, for example. Now, of course, in time we've come to realize that Black Plague was caused by fleas on rats, and then we understand that rats were unclean, and there's no possibility that rats are going to be in a Jewish community. So therefore, the Jews were preserved from the Black Plague. And out of ignorance, they blamed the Jews. Because of the dietary laws. Well, yes, the dietary laws which and, made the rat unclean. Exactly yeah. right. And, uh, and on and on. Here's another one that I think is very, very tragic. And that is throughout many, many centuries... The Jews were blamed for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You crucified our Savior, and they're ready to kill the Jews for this. This is just nothing short of ignorance, if I can be so bold as to say it this way. This is ignorance, because Jesus said, No man takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I can lay it down, and I can take it up again. Well, it was the intent of God from the beginning, at the fall of man, to use a... A, a redemption of men by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, you could do a, a deep study going all the way back from Adam and Eve all the way through to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It was God's intent and plan from the beginning to have a redeemer. And Jesus is the fulfillment. So it's to blame the Jews. We might as well blame ourselves because Jesus died for the purpose of paying for our sins. It was because of us, our sins, all of us, that Jesus died on the cross. Couldn't agree more. Now, when it comes to the issue with Israel today and and the Palestinian problem, um, where do you see the roots of that developing? Well, let's let's look at the Middle East right now. In the Middle East, we have, a, a of course, a, a problem, and that is, what do we do with the Palestinian refugees? Now, it's interesting because the, the Palestinian refugees have not been uh, a forefront in the news for some time. And so I think a lot of the younger people coming up today uh, who lack that understanding of what's going on in the Middle East don't necessarily understand the significance of this problem. But it is a huge problem, these Palestinians. And... Um, you know, when we think of Palestinians today, and again, this is a lot of the animosity. When you go to uh, uh, universities around the country and ask their position on the Palestinian question, so the vast majority are going to stand with the Palestinians. So therefore, we need to understand why they think this and what is this really all about. Well, let's go to the even the word Palestinian. Where do we even get the word? Why, why do we call these people Palestinians? Well, interestingly, the word Palestinian has nothing to do with an ethnic background. Uh, there's no such thing as an ethnic Palestinian. It has to do with the area. Mm-hmm. Um, that area was named Palestine by the Romans in, uh, I think it was 325 AD or something like this. 
And um, the reason they named it Palestine, it was after the ancient enemy of Israel, the Philistines. The PH and a P are synonymous in, in many languages. So they named that area uh, Palestine to offend the Jews. The purpose was to offend. If you remember, of course, Jesus foretold that there would be um, great animosity that arose. That was fulfilled in 70 AD when Rome destroyed Israel and destroyed the temple. But there was another revolt that happened another oh, 100 and some years later. And um, Rome decided that they were going to be very harsh on that one. And that's when they renamed it uh, Palestine. They uh, um, restricted Jews from access to Jerusalem. And amazingly, he, they set up a temple to Jupiter on the Temple Mount and, uh, and renamed the city Capitolina. So all of this goes all the way back to, you know, for, for second century A.D. And that's where the name comes from. So when we think of Palestinians today, there's no such thing as an ethnic Palestinian. These are actually Arabs. And uh, it's interesting because there's, a, there's an effort today to kind of um, revise history. And many uh, Palestinian leaders actually have tried to suggest that they've got a prior right. Because after all, we are the Philistines. This is just tragic. Not even close to any sort of reality there. They're Arabs. Now, the Arabs and the animosity between the Arabs and the Jews, you know, goes also back to Abraham. And that's a very important uh, part of the story as well. Because this animosity uh, uh, was actually foretold. And it's all part of a promise that God gave to, to Abraham to give him a son of promise. And... Um, that's a fascinating story, but it has everything to do with what's happening in the world today. <clears throat> because the three great religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all trace their history to Abraham. Fascinating. All right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to be right back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to The Georgine Rice Show this is uh, Pastor Rich Jones. I have the privilege of sitting in today for Georgine as she's taking some well-deserved time off. And I'm sitting here with my good friend and uh, fellow pastor, Matthew Dodd, who serves with me at Calvary Chapel Worship Center in Hillsborough. And we're talking about the, the events of the latter days, the importance of watching for the signs of the times, and the significance of Israel in the latter days. Jesus gave the signs of the times that focused on Israel. We understand, therefore, that the church needs to be aware of what's happening in the Middle East. I like what you've done so far, because you took us at the beginning to the end, and now we're kind of rolling the tape back and saying, how do we get here? Right. I think that's very, very helpful for us to have that perspective. Here's what the end looks like, but how do we get to where we're at? And then in between, how do we live now in the middle of these... Right. Times. Because we need understanding, right? We need to understand the background, how we got here. We need to understand then how we respond to it. Now, we before the break, we were just talking about the animosity <clears throat> between Arabs 
and the Jews. And the history of that goes all the way back to Abraham. Because Ishmael and Isaac. Exactly, because uh, God made a promise to Abraham that he would have a son through whom those promises then would be fulfilled. But uh, Sarah was very old, and uh, so she surmised that the answer to this promise is to have Abraham uh, go into her handmaid, uh, Hagar, and actually, this was a fairly common practice for a woman who was barren, because if the handmaiden would bear the child on the knees of the wife, then they would adopt the boy, the child. This was very common, and uh, like a surrogate, you might say. And so Abraham agrees with his wife on this point, and uh, uh, does go into Hagar. She bears a son, Ishmael. But that was not the son that God had promised. You know, God comes again to visit Abraham and basically says, no, that's not what I said. Sarah herself will have a son and um, he will be the one. He will be the one who will be the son of promise. Meanwhile, we have a problem. We have Ishmael. Well, and the Arabs, they're going to look at that and say the descendants of Ishmael, he's the firstborn. So therefore, the rights of the firstborn rightly go to him. Right. Whereas Israel, Isaac, he's the child of promise. He's the child of promise. And so God doesn't go by the conventions of man. He's the one who determines where that blessing is going to go through. Well, so Ishmael was a difficult boy. If you look at the scripture, there was, uh, uh, let's say, animosity early on, even though there's some difference of age, animosity toward her son Isaac. And so uh, Sarah wasn't pleased and wanted that boy and that woman. You know, if I can say that, I want that woman out of this house. And uh, and so uh, Abraham, you know, listened and out she went. And then in her despair, she almost gave up. This is Hagar. But God then met Hagar and gave her a message that, uh, there would be a fulfilling of promise that he would be the father of, of nations, uh, but he would be a wild donkey of a man, and that there would be animosity between him and his brothers, you know, uh, uh, forever. And so that is the backdrop to what's happening between the Arabs and the uh, Jews today. But it's interesting because in the Middle East now, the Abraham Accords, which mm-hmm. uh, have been a, a, a recent uh, development through the Trump administration uh, of bringing agreements between Arab nations and Israel. Now, that's, this is a fascinating thing because you know that the Antichrist, when he rises in the, in the latter days, is going to be a man of peace and he is going to negotiate an agreement, a covenant of peace that the nations will sign with Israel. And many then see that these covenant, uh, these Abrahamic uh, accord agreements are leading up to that great covenant of peace with Israel in the latter days. But as we know, the Antichrist will betray his promises of peace to Israel. And uh, three and a half years after the signing of that, all hell breaks loose when he sets up uh, a, a statue or a monument, an idol of himself in the Holy of Holies, the yes, abomination so, of desolation. So he's going to come across with this treaty as the great benefactor, blesser right. of Israel. <clears throat> Israel will see this and he will be able to accomplish something that 
no one thought possible. Right. But then at the halfway point, become the great persecutor of Israel. And thus, Jesus says in Matthew 24, when you see the desolation, right, that's when you flee because now he's become the great persecutor. And it's interesting because, you know, the Trump administration uh, decided to approach the problems in the Middle East differently than any previous administration. One of the things, of course, that we saw was the moving of the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That was a bodacious move that we supported uh, because I think it's important that we as a nation stand with Israel. In fact, when we were in Israel last, we had a chance to go to the embassy. And, And to see it for ourselves that this is something, of course, that we believe should be done because those who bless Israel will be blessed. Genesis 12, I believe, should inform our foreign policy today when it comes to the relationship between the United States and Israel. And historically it has. Yes, absolutely right. And there's a tremendous history there. I wish we had the time to discuss it because it's a, a fascinating history. Frankly, there are many reasons to stand with Israel, uh, not just spiritually, but also politically. They are our strongest ally, a, a democracy where the rule of law is honored and corruption is investigated and put down. There's political reasons, but there are spiritual reasons. And those who bless Israel will be blessed. When America turns their back on Israel, it will foretell. It will be a forewarning of great trouble. And so today, we and for many years, as you brought up, we have stood with Israel. But this is important for us to, to recognize that the, the Trump administration looked at this whole problem, let's say the Palestinian conflict of the Middle East with Israel, differently. Uh, instead of trying to tackle the great problem of the Palestinian refugees straightforwardly, they instead decided to build agreements with Israel and the Arab nations and really, in many ways, kind of ignore the Palestinian refugee problem and just start building these other accords. Now, it's interesting. Why would Arab nations actually sign these accords? What, what is in it for them, you might say? Well, I think several things. One, uh, and perhaps the most important of which, is that many of the Arab nations are against Iran. And, uh, you know, the... Why is that, though? It's important for people to see this. This is a key point as to the distinction between the Arab nations and Iran. Well, the issue is... Let's start with the fact that Iranians are not Arabs. Exactly. They are Persians. And, of course, there's a deep, deep history of Persia in the scriptures and prophetic fulfillment, by the way, in the future. Nevertheless, they're not Arabs, they're Persians, and uh, they're Muslim. Now, grant you that, they are Muslim, but there are different uh, aspects of Islam, without getting into many details, different denominations, you might say, of Islam. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend, Mm -hmm. you, you could say, is a kind of a driving force, uh, and so these these are signing uh, uh, Arab nations are signing these agreements with Israel because Israel is against their enemy Iran. That's the one. But two, they are one of the best trading partners uh, in, in the Middle East. And I want to talk about uh, the the view of Arabs that are living in Israel today. And actually, they're very supportive. All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to the Georgian Rice Show. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. This is Pastor Rich Jones having the privilege to sit in for Georgine as she's taking some time off. I'm with uh, my friend and fellow pastor, Matthew Dodd. We served together at Calvary Chapel in Hillsboro. We're talking about the importance of Israel in the latter days and the fulfillment of prophecy and the importance of understanding the problem of the Palestinian refugees because it has everything to do with the animosity that many hold against Israel. It's part of their anti-Semitism. Now, I have a question for you, kind of connecting dots here. You talked about the Abraham Accords Mm -hmm. and how it related to the Arab nations Mm -hmm. in relationship to Israel. But earlier, you also talked about the Palestinians and those who occupy those territories are Arabs, Mm -hmm. correct? So what message is being sent? Because you said that the Trump administration was basically making it as not a big of an issue in Palestine, with the Palestinian problem by focusing on these other nations and building these treaties. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the significance is of that? What kind of message is also being sent by doing this? Well, I think part of the message is, well, number one, they wanted to make progress in the Middle East. And they saw the futility of trying to solve the Palestinian refugee problem by facing it on directly. Because ultimately, there's not really a good negotiating desire on the other side. Right. If you look at what the uh, the Palestinian uh, uh, mentality is, is complete destruction of Israel. You know, I think I, I was seeing Bennett, who's the prime minister of Israel today, and he was uh, giving a uh, an interview <clears throat> before the recent election, and he was asked the question, "When does this end? Like, when does this all come to an end?" And his answer is, "That's easy." I can answer that right now. It will end when they stop trying to kill us. Exactly. I mean, historically, Israel has put out the olive branch repeatedly, mm-hmm. and nothing has satisfied. Because they want complete destruction. Exactly. And it's interesting because, uh, and I, I mentioned uh, this before the break, and because it does come right back to what you're saying now. <clears throat> that is, when we were in Israel uh, together, um, not this most recent time, but uh, two times ago, um, we had an opportunity to hear a a very interesting person speak to our group, a Palestinian Arab, I shouldn't say Palestinian, but an Arab um, supporter of Israel. He was a journalist. And it was a fascinating, fascinating discussion. One of the things he said was, as an Arab... He would prefer to live in Israel as an Arab than any Arab nation uh, in the Arab world. Exactly. If memory serves me, didn't he, wasn't he key in helping bring like U.S. reporters and over to the Palestinian area, area to meet with the leadership there? Yeah, particularly in Gaza. So he had been on both sides. He's able to see and understand the region. No question. And you're exactly right. I mean, his message to us, a group of pastors, was... He would prefer to live there. He felt more secure for him and his family in terms of their safety and their opportunity to thrive than somewhere else. Well, and he also said that there's freedom of religion. Mm -hmm. He's free to be uh, a Muslim in Israel. He's free to criticize his government. He doesn't have to be afraid if he says a critical word, which is not true in the Palestinian uh, uh, areas. He is also saying that 
there is a di- distinct difference between their their approach to this whole thing. And he brought up this illustration because we we asked the question like how how do we get out of this right? How does this change? And he says nothing will change until something changes in the families. And he said there is no there is no um, support for peace in the Palestinian uh, leadership. Very fascinating. And he said, until there is a a training up of the people to prepare them <clears throat> for peace, there will never be peace. For example, he said, in a, let's use a, a Jewish home, for example. In a Jewish home, a Jewish child is raised with the mentality, you're God's chosen people, you're going to grow up someday to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or, you know, whatever, and uh, God's favor is upon you. You're going to do great things. That's the Jewish mentality. Everybody knows this. He said, but in the Palestinian homes, they say to their children, your greatest claim to honor is if you kill a Jew. And they build hatred in these children from all of these years growing up. So he said, so until that's going to change, you're just raising up a generation of people who hate Israel. And, of course, there's no freedom of religion. In, in the Palestinian uh, Authority areas or Gaza, <clears throat> Christians are tremendously persecuted. And so, anyway, this is important to recognize. That really brings us to where we're at now. I mean, now you see why generation after generation, this view of Israel, they're the problem. This is your problem. This is your calling to root Israel off the face of the earth, their existence to be removed forevermore. Your high calling is to do that. And that explains the animosity, well, and that explains why they haven't been able to reach any type of agreement. Maybe you've heard this saying, because it's, it's used quite a bit, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Hmm. What does that mean? Well, from the River Jordan to the Mediterranean Sea, well, in order for that to be fulfilled, Israel would have to be wiped off the map. Exactly. And that's, that is, in fact, their intent, and it has been from the beginning. For example, uh, let's go back to when Israel was birthed as a nation, May 14, 1948. <clears throat> now, leading up to this, if you remember, uh, the, the British controlled this area. After World War I, the British were given the mandate to oversee this area and try to somehow bring some semblance of you know peace between the Jews and the Arabs. Well, the animosity continued to grow during these period of time between World War One and World War Two, and I mean skirmishes, fighting, murders, killing. I mean attacks. It was the British finally got to a point where they threw up their hands, and they said to the United Nations, "We can't do this anymore. You're going to have to solve this." And we're going to give you a deadline. May 15, 1948, if you don't have a solution, if you don't have this solved, we are leaving anyway, and this whole thing is going to turn into chaos. And it's not our fault. You got till May 15th to solve this problem. All right, so the United Nations took it on. Many debates, many uh, disputes. They came up with a solution to partition the land. And uh, it's very famous um, their idea was to partition the land to have two-state solution, the Palestinian state and the Jewish-Israeli state. And then they even drew borders, boundaries, and uh, put it forth to a vote. 
It passed. I think the vote was something like 30 to 13 in favor of dividing, partitioning the area known as Palestine between the Palestinian people, Arabs, and the Jews, two states. The Jews accepted the terms of this proposal. And their mentality was, hey, a little is better than nothing. At least we can have a state, a place to call home, because this is now after World War II and the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. These refugees needed a home. We accept the terms. And so on May 14, 1948, David Ben-Gurion made an announcement to the world. We accept the terms of the United Nations proposal. We hereby declare ourselves to be a state. United Nations, uh, United States was the first to recognize them. The Soviet Union was the second. President Truman. Uh, exactly. So, interestingly, if the Palestinians would have accepted those terms, we wouldn't even be having a problem today. There would be a two-state solution. So this is part of the problem. I want to look at this because it's very important history and background to what's happening. All right. You're listening to The Georgian Rice Show. We're going to just take a quick break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. Pastor Rich Jones with the privilege of sitting in for Georgine. I'm here with my friend and pastor, uh, Matthew Dodd. We served together at Calvary Chapel in Hillsborough. And we're talking about Israel in the latter days and the fulfillment of prophecy. And we were talking about specifically the rising anti-Semitism and rising support for the Palestinian Arab uh, peoples. And I think a lot of that is a misunderstanding. Because uh, if you look back again, we, just before the break, we were mentioning that in 1948, when Israel declared themselves to be a state, that the Palestinian Arabs had every opportunity to do exactly the same thing. If they would have accepted the United Nations terms and the land would have been partitioned, we wouldn't even be having this problem. But they insisted that Israel have nothing be completely annihilated. And so on May 14, 1948, the five Arab nations around them and the militias uh, of the Palestinian people all attacked. The result, of course, was victory for Israel, which is a fascinating story all into itself. Victory for Israel um, and Palestinian refugees. That was what resulted. Now, how did the refugees come about? Well, many of the Arab nations wanted the arena of war to be cleared of collateral damage. So they they told uh, Arabs living in those areas that were going to be attacked to leave so that they could attack Israel with impunity and not have to worry. And then they said, promised them, once we defeat Israel, then you can come back. But, of course, as we know, they did not defeat Israel. So that's one of the causes of the Palestinian refugees. One of their own making, then. One of their own making. Other other Palestinian Arabs who had means left on their own. They, They foresaw that this was going to be an arena of war. They just left on their own. That's the second. But then thirdly... Um, let's say that now the war's on and Israel would come to an Arab village. They would uh, propose terms of peace to that village. They would say, if you don't take up arms against us, you, we will not fight. And you will become welcomed into the state of Israel and be given citizenship if you will not take up arms. And if they agreed to this and did not take up arms, 
welcome to the state of Israel. You know, get your passport. But if they didn't, if they refused, if they wanted to fight, then the Israel answer was, we're not going to have enemies in our border. And they removed them by force, and they fled. Now, here's another cause. So in other words, when they fled, they joined the Palestinian refugees. Another cause was, when it was apparent that that Israel was going to defeat, let's say, a city or a village, the Arabs within it felt that Israel would do to them what they intended to do to Israel, which was complete annihilation, so they fled for their lives. So all of this is to say that's the background. That's how we got the Palestinian refugee problem. About 750,000, 800,000 at the time. Now that number has swollen to, I think, almost 3 million. All of these are registered by the United Nations and receive support. Stipend, they receive, of course, um, uh, health care, education, food provisions, etc., uh, etc. Et so that's kind of the root of where we got the Palestinian problem, and it has been there ever since. And interestingly, the Arabs have uh, recently not had much of an appetite for trying to solve the problem either. And so that's why the Trump administration decided to go for peace with these Arab nations rather than trying to tackle the Palestinian problem. But I also, before our time runs up, and I know our time is really short today, this program has gone by so fast, Um, but I want to talk about Afghanistan because I think that's on a lot of people's minds. Is that relevant? You know, the question I have with that, and I'm so glad you brought that up, is in light of what's happened with Afghanistan, our occupancy no longer there, uh, militarily speaking, what do you see potentially happening now that that vacuum has been created? And, and do you see any relationship between it and, and biblical prophecy? Well, let's start with, I think, a lesson that is learned by watching what happened in Afghanistan. When the United States did that very tragic um, rapid pullout, let's say, which created an opportunity for the Taliban, um, the Taliban is the right way to say that. But anyway, it, it made opportunity for them to, of course, take over, which they did. The lesson for Israel is to be very careful what happens in the Palestinian Authority areas. Today, Israel is actually trying to support and strengthen the Palestinian Authority government, so-called government. Because if they don't, and Palestinian Authority falls, that vacuum will be filled with terrorists at their door. There will be Hamas or Hezbollah or whoever right at their door. They do not want what's happening in the Gaza Strip to be happening in the West Bank areas. And so it is incumbent upon Israel today. They feel the sense of urgency to strengthen and support the Palestinian uh, um, government. Hmm. That's interesting insight. I haven't heard that. Mm -hmm. So biblically speaking, though, what do you see potentially happening now that you have that terrorist region? I mean, it really becomes a a magnet for that type of activity. How does that relate to potentially biblical prophecy in Israel? And unfortunately, that question is going to take probably more time than we have on this last few minutes of our segment. But suffice it to say that it does play into prophetic fulfillment. Watch for what's happening 
in that. And and here's the thing. I want to be speaking about this through a new ministry that I'm actually starting that uh, is going to be discussing these very issues. And, and the, the ministry that, that I'm starting is called Blessers of Israel. And the intent is to start a rabbinical school in Israel to train up Jews to strengthen and support Jesus as their Messiah for the Jews who have a hunger and desire. We're going to equip. I'm excited about that. But secondly, we're going to equip the church to be watching for the signs of the times. We're going to do what we are doing right here on this program, which is to see what's happening in the world, to interpret the news through the lens of Scripture and prophetic fulfillment. And so that's going to be a regular news feed that we provide through this ministry called Blessers of Israel. I think that's going to be a valuable resource to be able to look at current events, see what's going on in the geopolitical landscape, but then also relate it to Scripture carefully. And, and then draw from that practical applications. And I think this is an excellent way. I mean, as you said earlier, Israel is going to be the focal point and, and has been the focal point. And, and I believe it's incumbent upon the church to how can we bless Israel? How can we help them see who Jesus is That's right. and the value and the weight of the gospel of Jesus Christ? So that is the point, to be blessers of Israel starts with an understanding of why, why we should be blessed of Israel. But then secondly, let's bring it down to a revival aspect. I believe that the end result of watching for the signs of the times, of staying on the alert, to have a sense of urgency, is to bring revival. Because I think that people who are asleep, if there is a slumber in the church, the church is ineffective. There's a call. There's an impact. We're supposed to be making a difference in this world. And if the church is asleep, they can make no difference. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, this is the time. This is the time where we don't play the game on our heels, so to speak. This is the time we press in. This is not the time where we step back in fear. This is the time where we walk forward in faith. And I I think this is exciting in the sense that you and I get to be part of something of great significance in world history. There's a reason for why God has called us for such a time as this. Exactly. And this is the time to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, that's all the time we have. Matthew, thank you for joining me on this program. I am always counting it a privilege to sit in for Georgine. And uh, these are so important topics. And I'm very, very thankful for the opportunity. So, Georgine, thanks for uh, being there for us and uh, all that you do. is greatly appreciated. God bless everyone. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.